0: Good morning, church. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs this morning, chapter 14. Our text will be verses 26 and 27. I'll read it in a little bit here. We're going to be discussing the fear of God. A good slogan for the entire book of Proverbs would be, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which is one of the first assertions made in the first few verses of the first chapter of the book. One of the mistakes that are easy to make when reading this book is we have a tendency to grab out a proverb and just apply it how we want. And this is usually very easy to do, particularly with the Proverbs, and it is very easy to misquote. Chapter 14, where we are today, uh, are among the writings in Proverbs that reflect on the former discourse, which are primarily chapters 1 through 9 it is really important to read the surrounding verses to see if they follow the same topic. So if we do just open to a section of the Proverbs, read before it, read after it. This is one of the basic ways to guard ourselves from error when desiring understanding. So if you read a proverb and the few before or after seem unrelated or seem to conflict, you're probably misunderstanding. A good example of this is Proverbs 26, verse 4. It reads, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. You might read that and think, well, you're not supposed to rebuttal claims made by unbelievers. But then you read the very next verse, verse 5, which says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own sight. Similarly, in our chapter, chapter 14 today, verse 12 reads, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I'm going to give you a test today. Just hear the deflation of all the students. <laughs> a test, yes. Does this mean, there's a, so when you read, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, does that mean That if a path or way of life seems right to someone, to you, is it wrong? Is it the end of your right thought death? So let's get started. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That one may turn away from the snares of death. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Fear. This word with similar type complexity as we looked at a couple of weeks ago with the word woe has the same type of complexity, fear, fear. Now it's the same word used in different senses. The same word not different ones. Though they are not distinct meanings. Different senses, not different meanings. But having two very distinct responses. The sense in which it's used in our passage today is having a profound reverence of something or someone. You might imagine watching a nuclear bomb explode off in the distance. As long as you're a safe distance away, or you're watching it on video, you might look in awe, watching the multiple megatons of destructive power, perhaps with concern about the damage that it could do, but certainly knowing that if you were ever exposed to such a force, you'd be killed instantly. The same word is used elsewhere to describe a more modern use or modern sense of the word. What we more commonly think of when we hear the word fear, it's when being afraid. When Adam had sinned against God in the garden and he hid himself, he explained to God that he hid himself because he was afraid of God. The word fear again, carrying a sense towards something with awesomeness and great might and great power. Adam wasn't scared of God as though he were savage or brutal in his might, but rather seeing him clothed in splendor and majesty. Using the idea of fear towards a nuclear bomb, you can imagine if a suit existed where you have 100% certainty you could withstand the impact and the radioactive particles in an explosion without harm to you. Your fear would have greater depth of anticipation, but you knew you'd be okay. Lots of Christians have confusion about this especially in light of passages like 1 John 4:18 where he says perfect love casts out fear and i want you to keep that in mind throughout our examination of this passage are we to have fear or are we This fear mentioned here, it's connected in our passage of having it with God. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the word here being Yahweh, is the direct translation here. It's the name of God given to Israel through Moses. So right off in the beginning here, we have a he who fears connected to Yahweh. He who fears Yahweh. This isn't the idea of an impersonal God. This isn't some ambiguous force of nature or the power of God's. This is the God, the only God, the God who revealed himself. It is the God who has been revealed and named among the people. And when thinking of the reverent fear connected to God's name, Jewish people wouldn't even speak his name audibly or even write it down out of fear, fear of using his name in vain. And this is called tetragrammaton, which we see when we are looking at the original text as the letters YHWH, when referencing the Lord, when referencing God's name. And because of the practice, with such caution as to not even want to misuse in writing the name of the Lord, there's still debate today over how you would even pronounce it. And this is a better understanding of what it even means to use the name of the Lord in vain we often think it is only a matter of using God's name as a curse word. And that is absolutely true. But the proper understanding of the law against blasphemy or using God's name in vain is actually better understood in our passage today. Do not speak the name of God irreverently or or without great awe and respect. Do not speak the word of God without fear. This irreverence was the guilt that was proclaimed on all creation in Romans 1. When mankind was left, without excuse. Simply knowing generally about a God that created and governs the earth, the universe, the power of the sun, and the stars in the sky. The beasts of the earth. Just seeing plainly The evidence of God in creation and not having this reverent fear of Yahweh is what deserves judgment and receives God's condemnation. But today's passage isn't about an afraid type of fear. And it's because of the contrast of what we see in Romans one. Strong confidence. In fear of Yahweh, one has strong confidence. Before we get into this strong confidence, I want to contrast what it's not, and it's not responding differently than those that were implicated in Romans 1, affirming, yeah, God is powerful, and and thinking, well, I respect God, I believe God exists, so I'm good. That's a denial of the word of God, who said, all have turned away. None are good. Apart from the intervention of God in your life, you hate him. You reject him as Lord and will die in your sin. The confidence to be had is an object of hope. And the reality of our society today is no different than that of unbelieving Israel. A claim to a belief in God does nothing but confirm your judgment. God can reveal Himself powerfully, perform works and wonders. I mean, do you, do you ever hear the claim from someone arguing against faith in God? Have you just showed Himself to me? Prove to me that He exists? I'd believe. No. No, you wouldn't. Because He did. God has graciously revealed himself throughout all of history in every way imaginable. And do you know what every person has and will, apart from the intervention of God in your life, do? Romans 1, 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they did not An object of hope isn't affirming God's existence. We all know that He exists. The trust or confidence in God is in the object of our confidence, which is the promised redemption from sin, our Redeemer, Jesus who began revealing, was his plan since Genesis 3. You can open to the beginning and see the gospel. This good news isn't something new or something that was hidden. God's plan of redemption had been his plan from before the foundation of the world. And in the darkness of human history, involving man, woman, the serpent, and God, when sin entered creation through Adam, God responded. He responded with curse, and he responded with the good news. Sin came, and death through sin. But the hope was that I quote I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the gospel. It's what is referred to as the proto evangelium. Protos, meaning first. And evangelion, gospel. Gospel. First gospel. Genesis 3. So when you think confidence, it's not ambiguous. Don't fill in the definition with what you think might be. It's specific in the person and plan of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And before the fullness of the revelation of Jesus, it was in this same promise. It was in the promise. This same good news that was where the trust was placed the plan of God that brought about salvation for all belonging to God for all time. Trust in the promise. That's why all the way back in the Proverbs, you can have King Solomon write about having confidence in God. But it's not just confidence. Look in our text here. It's strong confidence. Strong confidence. The, the fear of God doesn't just give hope in Him and His plan. It empowers, it fortifies, and creates an impenetrable stronghold in all of life and death. The hope that countless are lost without and are looking for is this. It's this confidence. Will you give that hope to someone this week? Tell them about the gospel that King Solomon spoke of in Proverbs. a refuge of hope in the fear of God to be delivered from the curse of sin. You see, God has put eternity on the heart of all, convicted the world of sin by his Spirit, and now commands us, you and I, proclaim the good news of this hope to our neighbors. Here in the next part of our passage it should sound familiar. And his children. And his children similar to how the first mention of the gospel is from the beginning, Genesis 3, and throughout the ages so is the work and purpose of God in families. You and your children, you and your household, all of the families of the earth. The heritage of the Lord. For me and my households what does he say we will serve the Lord. Hold on Joshua, hold on a second. Sons, daughters, spouse, servant, children, grandchildren. What are we what are we talking about here? What you meant to say in that very patriarchal and authoritative attitude is that you'll go and ask little Johnny when he's 10 if he wants to ask Jesus into his heart, right? Brothers, church, I don't use ridicule lightly or ignorantly. We need to kill the nonsense of individualism of the Christian faith. God knows families. He blesses families. And has created the family as the means by which generations of warriors of his kingdom go forth to conquer the earth. And the outliers that have been brought in individually, they have been adopted into a family. His family. Your faith is not your own. Your beliefs about God are not your own. And you don't get to sit in your closet with your Bible and separate yourself from the family of God. Being removed from the continued filling of the earth through the families of the earth. Fathers are instructed to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a command. Children, you're instructed to obey the teaching of your father. Those same fathers, instructed as husbands, to see their wives washed and sanctified by His Word. And those wives. Instructed to submit to the rule and teaching of her husband. Do you see the glory in this? I hope you do. If you look plainly, without external presuppositions, there has been no change or alteration in the plan, purpose, and propagation of the gospel. On the contrary, it's just gone further and more powerfully. The Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh, breaching out from the small nation of Israel to bring salvation to the world. But this word, children, in our text... Look closely at it and study it and look at the Hebrew word to get a good understanding and its true meaning. You have to study the word children, right? What does it actually mean? Well, the actual word means children. It's your descendants. It's your children. The fear of God that brings about the fortress, the stronghold of faith that is built in the confidence of God's promise. It gives your children refuge. They will have refuge. Your children. This fortress that is built. It's it's not just something spiritual in your head or in your heart. It produces something for your household and in fact is your household. This has a direct connection to the next verse, which is really important To bring together. So I plea with you to stay with me here. Walls, barricades, moats, strongholds, they're all analogies of the house being built, the confidence of the promise that we have, and the refuge God intends it to be for your children is not left to the imagination. A refuge is a place you turn to for security and safe harbor. From what? From what? You're not still thinking about concrete walls, are you? Keep going. A fountain of life. Ah, more analogies. A fountain. What is it? It's a place where water begins. But it's not a fountain of water. It's the spring of life itself. And if your mind doesn't go here, I'll bring it here. John four fourteen. You remember the story when Jesus tells a woman drawing water to give him a drink. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So you don't feel bad because she got hung up on analogies too. Like, Jesus, you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> what are you going to do? Fear Yahweh. Fear Yahweh. You have a fortress of hope in the promise of God. You build it up among your household, strengthening the walls, filling the moat, and reinforcing the gate which the fear is life for you and your household. This word, life, basically, is the very meaning of being alive. But not just merely having a pulse. The source of this fountain brings about vitality and joy and health and energy. The refuge that you reside in, it has a well. It's, its water source that you drink of to live creates the most purposeful and hope-filled life that one can possibly live. What does it do? It turns away snares. This phrase, turn away. It's like repentance. It's a change of mind, a change of direction. The change of direction is from that which would catch you, L- like a lure does a fish. You're the fish, the Lord's sin, and the one catching you doesn't want to throw you back when he gets you. When we pray the Lord's Prayer like we do each week here, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. This prayer is a prayer for us to be fortified in Christ. And a snare would be like leaving your fortified home with the front door wide open. When we turn away from God and the peace of his gospel, we turn to the snares. We turn to the snares that lure us in and wreak havoc on our lives and our households. It's why the evil among this generation hates families. Hates. They hate strong dads. Confident, fulfilled women keeping their homes. And children who would learn from their parents. Why? Why such Because it's God's program. And they want to destroy it. And if they can't, they're going to try to get into it. Fearing God, it builds a refuge of the home. It protects from the carelessness of falling into sin that would catch us. Peter describes Satan like a prowling lion. You can imagine it, looking around, seeking out his next victim. The family, the home, it's where the fortress is. And you keep him out. And the life, protection, and joy of that home is to keep you and your children from pursuing the lies of this world that lead in our text to death of death of death the last part of our text here can basically mean the opposite of what it is to be alive Like life. We saw earlier. But it's more. It's it's more than simply having a pulse, as we saw life. Death, here, also means more than just the absence of a pulse, a heartbeat. It is the, the personification of death. the the God of death. It is to be among the realm of the dead and its ruler. That's what's said here. You might think, well, why would anyone unsuspectingly play footsie with death itself? The answer, according to this text, is that you don't fear God. When we don't look at every encounter, every situation, every decision, every circumstance, when we don't see it as being a matter of loving God and considering Him as holy, then these things all look different. When we don't fear God, we look at the face of death with indifference. We don't see the threat nor care to recognize it. Contrarily, fearing God recognizes that everything was made by him and for him. And when we contemplate the upbringing of our children, how we treat our spouse, the arguments that we choose to engage, and the ones we don't, what we watch on Netflix, if we watch Netflix, and where and why we work. Worship, sex, fitness, money, friendships, marriage, food, entertainment, sleep, work, all of it. All of it. The fear of the Lord orients our mind rightly to acknowledge the holiness of God and that I'm not. It sees that in every seemingly minuscule part of my day and yours and life, it exists to magnify the glory of God in his creation. Everything. It gives us hope that he has purposed all things to work about for our good. That leads us to the promise of life in Christ, redemption from this death. It is the stronghold of our faith, but not us alone, not us as siloed Christians. It is a stronghold for us and our children, our households, a refuge from the darkness of the world, as Christ shines the light and overcomes it. The fear, the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, it exposes the abundance and goodness of God and the life that he desires for us. <laughs> He's a good God a loving God learning to trust him in all circumstances every part of our lives that he is a good provider he cares for us he cares for you the fear of god It seeks to change our minds to be like His. And it protects us from living a life of ignorance. Having sharp focus of everything around us that would trip us up and lead us astray. Snare. The fear of God It's a blessing of the new covenant. It's a work that God does in us today through a new heart. Why can we say that we fear the Lord? Because we are enabled to. He places his spirit in us. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new mind, a desire to love Him. And without that intervention, without that promise, we would be without hope because the world, apart from the intervention of God, is condemned in their sin. And we in ours. The new covenant, the hope of the promise of God, is that we can trust in Him to accomplish this work today. Amen.